therefore go. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the close of this Easter Sunday in 2019, 2019 years after that first Easter, we ask and pray that the reality, the glory, the wonder of that would be as fresh now as it was then. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. Jesus has just done what is utterly impossible. He's died for all of the sins of all of his people in every nation, across all of time and every culture, and he has risen from the dead three days later. Verse 5, we read, the angel said to the woman, do not, the, the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Jesus has just done what God from all eternity promised he would do, which humanly speaking is impossible. But as we learn from the word of God, nothing is impossible with God. Matthew chapter 9, 26, Jesus speaking about the, the impossibility of God not doing anything impossible. With man, this is impossible, but all things are possible with God. But humanly speaking, what Jesus has just done is utterly impossible. And so, Jesus now commands all of his disciples to do the utterly impossible too. Look at verse 19. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Just look with me over the text and see who Jesus is talking to here. In verse 16, they are the remaining 11 disciples. They've turned up in Galilee. Okay, let me just give you a parenthesis. I want to finish off the series on Matthew that we started after Christmas. We started at Christmas. We've done the beginning and we've missed out in the middle and this is the end. So I'm going to enjoy myself for a little bit and just pull together the themes that are in Matthew's Gospel. We've seen that fulfillment is a huge theme that runs throughout Matthew's Gospel. Galilee is a huge theme that runs through Matthew's Gospel as well. Galilee is a hugely significant geographic location. Let me just give you some um, references for you. It is literally, as we should see here, the gateway to the nations. For example, in chapter 2, verse 22, we learned that Jesus lived there as a boy. In chapter 4, verses 12 through 17, we we read that Jesus began his public ministry there. In actual fact, that was exactly what Isaiah chapter 9 had prophesied, Galilee of the Gentiles, in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 12. And here at the end of the book of Matthew, in chapter 28, 16, he is launching his world mission from there. So Galilee is literally the gateway to the nations. So these 11 disciples have turned up, as Jesus has told them to, And now they are given what we have come to know as the Great Commission, which is utterly impossible. 
Look at how they're feeling. We're told in verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. They do worship him, good, but some doubted. So this bunch of 11 men are now being commanded to go and, go and make disciples of all nations. It is utterly impossible. But it must be possible. After all, what are we doing here tonight if it's impossible? Jesus here tells us that our mission impossible will be achieved through our King Invincible and that we're never alone because we are accompanied by our God, Emmanuel. There we are, that's the sermon done, almost. Okay, our mission impossible. Let me ask you this question, I think I know the answer. If you're anything like me, do you, have, do you sometimes feel totally overwhelmed with all that you have to do? Do you, do you ever feel that, you, you, that if, as, as my American boss told me, that don't worry, there are 24 hours a day, then there's night. That there's, do, you, do, you ever feel, do you ever feel that there's just so much to do and so little time to do it, and there's pressing in on you every which way, all the things that you must get done, and then the computer goes for a, a Windows 10 upgrade, and it's just you, uh, the circle of death, and you... Uh, is that just me? Do you ever get stressed out when you don't meet your deadlines? I had a project engineer that worked with me on a, on a project, and we were um, making a report. We were due to make a report the following day to our French customer, we love the French, the, this report, and um, we, were, we were slightly behind on the critical chain, sorry to bore you, that critical path, that's the sort of detail project management speak, and, and this, en, this engineer that was working for me had a bit of a sense of humour, he said, I, I always remember this, he said, I love deadlines, I love deadlines, they make a lovely rushing sound as they go past your ear. Do you use to-do lists to help you manage? I, I use Evernote, which isn't bad, when I remember to fill it in, and then when I remember to look at it and work through the things that I've got on my list. I mean, that's just normal life stuff. And here we are, as Christians, faced with Jesus' utterly impossible command. Utterly impossible just think how impossible this task actually is. Look at the unpromising material that Jesus has chosen to work with, the 11 disciples, some of whom have doubts. And we must admit, must we not, that we too are not the most gifted. We're not the sharpest tools in the box. And of course, we too have our personal issues and struggles and lives and families and stuff. Oh, and by the way, don't forget the scope of the task. All nations. Ethnos, that's the Greek word. It comes up again, and I'll mention it a bit later. It literally means all people groups on the face of the earth. Do you know how many people groups there are on the face of the earth? Loads of them. Just think for a moment about the barriers that we must overcome to, com to complete this great commission. We must overcome language barriers... 
cultural barriers, distance barriers, political barriers, let, let alone, that's just out there barriers, let alone the personal barriers and prejudices and fears that we all feel about folks from different nations. And, oh, by the way, while we're on it, don't forget and keep in mind the hostility of the environment. These disciples knew firsthand that they were not what we would call flavour of the month and that Jesus had just been tortured and crucified and they were identified with him as his followers and that Jesus himself had promised his disciples that they would experience relentless persecution while they're engaged on his mission. That's how he opened the batting of his first public ministry that we have recorded in the, in the, called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 10 through 12, which we looked at. Blessed are you when men persecute you and say all manner of things falsely against you for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Persecution is going to be the daily stuff of life for those who are followers of Jesus. And we know today, do we not, something of the hatred that our Christian family across the world in what we now know as what we call the persecuted church suffer. And we also know, do we not, if we're, if, if we, if we're at all sensitive to the tide in our nation at this present time, how it has turned, and we're not just living in a post-Christian culture, but we are increasingly living in an anti-Christian culture. Oh, and while we're still thinking about this impossible task, don't forget the hardness of every human heart. Look what Jesus says we've got to do. Teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. Not, notice what he says. Not merely teaching them, but teaching them to what? To obey To have hearts that want to obey Jesus. Let me ask you this. How many hearts have you changed in your work as a Christian, in your life as a Christian? How many human hearts have you so worked on that they've changed from hearts that hate Jesus to hearts that love him and want to obey him? How many have you, can you rack up on your scoreboard? None. Oh, and by the way, how many of you actually, how many of us are actually au fait with and competent to teach everything I have commanded you? Right? So there we are. Just a few reasons straight off the top as to why this mission that Jesus commands us to go and to do is utterly impossible. This sounds, does it not, more like the great guilt trip rather than the great commission. By the way, I've heard sermons that sort of make it sound like the great guilt trip. But he who has done the impossible commands us to go and do the impossible too. So how are we going to do the impossible? The answer is through our king Invincible. He says, does he not, in the, in the previous verse, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to, unto me. The word authority there means the ability 
and I've got, I've got a, a, a le- I think I've got authority in my home. Dad, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. One of the congregation is mocking me. But I understand exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah, of course. We ha- we, authority. I mean, what authority have we got, really speaking? Human- what have we genuinely got? Not much. But the word authority here that Jesus has literally means the ability and the freedom to do as he pleases. That's what it means. He, he's, I have the ability and the freedom to do everything I, anything and everything I please in heaven and on earth. Again, another theme that runs through Matthew's gospel is one of authority. And throughout, G, throughout Matthew's gospel, Jesus has been demonstrating his authority. His authority is commended in chapter 729 for his teaching. He taught as one who had authority, not like the scribes and the Pharisees who are leaning on other people's opinions. He taught them as very, truly, truly, I say unto you. He taught with authority. His teaching carried weight. He has authority not only in his teaching, but he has authority to heal diseases, chapter 8, 1 through 7. He has authority to calm storms, chapter 8, 23 through 27. He has authority to cast out demons, chapter 8, 28 through 34. He has authority to forgive sins, chapter 9, 6. He has authority to raise the dead, chapter 9, 18 through 25. And supremely... He has authority to conquer death from inside the grave. 28.7. So we know that he has all authority. He's demonstrated it. We've also seen, well we would have done if we'd have got, in, got there, but in, in, John, in Matthew chapter 10... What Jesus is doing, because by the way, Matthew's gospel is about making disciples who make disciples. That's what Matthew's big deal is about. Because that's how the Great Commission ends. That's where it takes the narrative. And so what we see Jesus doing is teaching disciples how to become disciple makers. Come follow me, I'll teach you how to catch men, I'll teach you how to fish for people. That's what he does. And we see his ministry of preaching and teaching and proclaiming the gospel and doing good. He's doing both things that we thought about earlier this evening. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven and he's healing and and helping and ministering to people. He's doing both things. And then when we get to chapter 9, the end of chapter 9, he says, pray the Lord of the harvest or send forth laborers into his harvest. And then what happens in chapter 10, verse 1, we read these words. Jesus called his disciples together, his disciples to him, and what did he do? He gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and illness. What we have in chapter 10 of Matthew's gospel is a dress rehearsal for world mission. So what are we to take from this? That the mission impossible, we are, for us to do the mission impossible, we are totally dependent upon the delegated authority of Jesus, our King, 
And we are also totally dependent upon him working through us moment by moment, as he promised. That's why Jesus says, therefore. And again, let me take you back to chapter 10, verses 16 through 20. And Jesus used the word therefore again. And this really helps to to shed some light on what he's calling us to do and how we will do it because he's promised we will. Okay? I am sending you out, chapter 10, 16 through 20, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard... You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles and to the ethnos. Same word as nations in in chapter 28. To the ethnos, to the Gentiles, to the nations. That's what's going to happen. I'm sending you out. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. They're going to flog you. You'll be brought before governors and kings. Notice what he says in the next verse. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. Why not? At that time, you will be given what to say. Why? For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. That's helpful, isn't it? (laughs) Do you ever worry what to say? How how am I going to share my faith with me, mate, at work? And you sweat buckets, feel like you've done a day's work if you shoe on Jesus into the conversation. It feels awkward. This phrase here in verse 20 is key to our understanding. We need to get this. This is so important. It is literally a game changer for you to get this. In fact, the apostles learned the reality of experiencing Jesus' authority at work in them, moment by moment. And the good news is that this same authority is freely available for all of Jesus' disciples. It's what is called the I, yet not I principle. I, yet not I. That's the principle that the New Testament teaches about how to be a Christian on planet Earth. I, yet not I. What is that? Let me give you three cross-references, and if you want to turn them up, you can do. The first one is in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Right? The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Who's living? Who's living? Is Paul living or is Christ living? 
What does he say? I live, yet not I. Christ lives in me. That's what he says. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. That's classically where the phrase, I, yet not I, comes from. I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed... Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Do you feel the sense of freedom this gives you? Do you feel a sense of liberty to get out from under this evangelical guilt trip that sometimes we get laid on us? Who gets all the glory? Jesus, who does the hard work? We do. Who does the work through us? He does. Who gets all the glory? He does. Let me just try and apply this. I live, yet not I. I preach, yet not I. I pray, yet not I. I care for my family, yet not I. I work hard at my job. Yet not I. I serve in the church. Yet not I. I share my story with my mates. Yet not I. I go on serve on the mission fields. Yet not I. It's a wonderful principle, isn't it? You need to, you need to bed that in. You need to pray God that, pray that into your soul. I live, yet not I. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. All authority, says Jesus, in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and achieve the impossible. And we're never alone. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do you remember how the book of Matthew begins? Let me read you from 18, chapter 1, 18 through 23. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. 
Notice the editorial comment that Matthew, under the inspiration of the Spirit, inserts. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's fascinating, isn't it, that, that under the inspiration of the Spirit, Matthew opened the story by telling us that God was with us. He closes the story by telling us, by Jesus himself telling us, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That's good news. That's great news. Therefore, go. Jesus tells us that our mission impossible will be achieved through our King Invincible and that we are never alone because we are accompanied by our God, Emmanuel. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what can we say? <laughs> what can we say? It, we are amazed that there is a church here full of people who love Jesus. <laughs> the existence of this church and the existence of every Christian in this church family is a miracle of sovereign grace. We worship and praise you, Lord, that you are fulfilling your great promise that I will build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against her. Thank you for the part that you've called us to play in making your kingdom come, in seeing your name hallowed, by seeing God at work through words that we speak, through deeds that we do, through prayers that we pray. It's, it's, it's us, but it's not us. It's all of God and it's all of us. Thank you for the miracle of what it means to be a Christian. Help us to love you and serve you and adore you in your strength, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. We have a gospel to proclaim. Please stand as the musicians lead us. Thank you. <laughs>